0: That's the sound of a martini. That's the sound of Rick Milliken's favorite drink.
1: And Martinis. R- Rick
0: Milliken is our guest today. He was the casting director for Bones. He also cast X-Files, Married with Children. He's been in the business for a long time, and he has a lot of insight into how it's evolved and to, to where it is now. Yeah, and he's just a
1: really good guy, a fun person to be around, and he gives us like a couple really
0: good stories that that uh, I think everyone will enjoy. He tells an incredible story about Aaron Paul coming to the restaurant El Coyote and surprising his niece or nephew uh, and showing up. It's a really great story, and you guys are going to love this episode. And
1: you'll learn a bunch about like the casting process from the other side. We've talked to a bunch of actors so far. To talk to a casting director is, uh, is a different angle. And maybe if you listen close enough,
0: Rick will cast you. <laughs> enjoy the episode. Let's enjoy these martinis, Josh. Huh? Yep. Welcome to Second Meal, a podcast where we discuss life, the industry, food, and what it means to live and work in Los Angeles. We're your hosts, Michael Grant Terry and Josh Levy. Sit back and enjoy a second meal. Rick Milliken, thanks for coming on. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. How's it going? This is fun. So Rick, you yes. have a pretty like illustrious career in this industry, spanning back uh, across sitcoms, across all different things, and then you landed on Bones as what you cast for the
2: entire time, right? Yeah. No, not the pilot, right? No, 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 no. No, I came in episode 11. Episode 11. Or 10. 11, 10, somewhere in there. And I know you- I was actually the fourth casting director by episode 11, which was a little wow. unnerving. Yeah. I remember why? That. Do you know Why? Well, that was my concern when um, the studio had me, they called me and said, because um, I was doing quintuplets at the time that was only lasted for a season, and that was ending, and the studio called me and they said, you know, we've got this show Bones, we'd like you to meet, would, would, would you like to meet? And I said, sure, I didn't know really much about it. But then I found out that they had already had three people by by episode 10, and I was a little concerned, like why? Which is a red so, flag, a little bit, because some, yeah. someone's and doing re- something wrong. Yeah. So I remember walking in to meet with Hart, Stephen, and Barry. Those are the three I met with, and I kind of walked in with you know this sort of look on my face, like what's this all about? <laughs> but of course, you know, the second I sat down, it was like love at first sight. You know, we all just like hit it off immediately. Um, so I don't really know what I mean. One person did the pilot. Um, I don't know what happened with that. And then uh, there was another couple that did a few episodes. And I think, I mean, they're pretty prestigious cast. are Sharon Bialy. Bialy Thomas, right? And yeah. I think they just got mixed up in the new show, Chaos Syndrome, which happens. Well, and Bones is a
0: pretty specific... I mean, I know that it was figuring itself out then too, but Bones is a pre- pretty specific like world to cast. Yeah. Same with for auditioning for I remember like... It's its own entity. It's not a comedy. It's not a drama. It's not a pr- well, strict procedural. It's not you know. It's a kind of a mixture of things. There is
2: comedy. I mean, well, comedy, yeah, of course, comedy is a big part of Bones um, that you don't see in other procedurals. But
0: it's not a strict comedy.
2: No, I mean, it's like, not. yeah, it's, there's a very fine line, and I'm sure in the beginning days of putting the show together, I think they were trying to figure out. What the tone of the show was and is my the guess. Studio,
1: the studio, and the network in those early days weren't weren't sure either. Exactly, and they all weren't on the was. same page.
2: Not, not from what I've bit. heard. And casting gets in, you know, the casting gets thrown into the the pen, as it were, as far as blaming problems, and that may have happened. Then they hired somebody else, and she was kind of a ca- a comedy person, and it just didn't work out. And then. I came in and it, you know it was the, the best. The rest job. is history. What was the best job, honestly? I think aside from X Files that I've had. I mean, working with Hart Hansen and Stephen Nathan. You know, what more could you ask for?
0: Tell me about that a little bit. Like what? What about that? Did you enjoy versus some other shows that you've worked on? Well, just I mean,
2: you know them. They're yeah, they're lovely. The nicest, people. Yeah. giving, caring, listening. I mean. They treat you like a person you know and and they're good people, you know they're not can I say dicks,
0: yeah, you can say um, whatever you want
2: you know there's a lot of there's a lot of horrible people in this business that can be very mean and very condescending and not fun to be around and you know this business is so stressful as it is um, to have somebody like those guys be your superiors is you know a godsend you know because I could uh, Hart and Stephen are very approachable. This chair's squeaking a lot. Is that bothering you? No, it's okay. Um, Hart and Stephen are so approachable. You know, I've worked on shows where you know you're kind of apprehensive about even walking in somebody's room because of the mood they're going to be in. Right. They're going to attack and you know be nasty. But you know, Hart and Stephen made it so easy to always be able to talk to and get information from and you know find out future and you know what's happening here you know it was just easy they were easy to work with
1: and I, what was it like what is it like casting a 22 episode a year tv show like you can you can you take us through like you get the script
2: yeah you get the script you read the script you you break down the guest stars from the co-stars, you know, obviously you're on the biggest guest star first because it's and, the most important. And how
1: quickly do you do that?
2: Immediately. You only have eight days to put a show together.
1: So eight days to fill, to how many roles would you be casting in a normal episode?
2: Well, it always changes, but average 10 to 12, sometimes it's 15, 16, 17, sometimes it's two. Um, it just depends on the script. And can you but, tell
0: us the difference between, because I know some people won't know this who aren't in the industry, but the difference between a co-star and a guest star um, and how that applies to each script?
2: Well, the guest stars are the big, the big guest star of the episode, what this, usually what the story is based around. Um, they're the bigger parts, um, the most important parts. And the co-stars are the, you know, the smaller five-line, six-line, two-line, one-line, um, you know, the supporting players.
0: Often the intros of, the, of Bones were the, were, I guess they were one-day guest stars, right, usually?
2: For this, yeah, the, the, intro? Teaser, the, yeah teasers the teaser of Bones one? was always like its own little, its own little world. Movie. And it that was, was a it was comedy, little too. Little short yeah. yeah, and they usually were c- comedic, and that's right. where... That's where the tricky part of casting Bones came in is that, that fine line of comedy within a procedural drama. And, you know, when I do workshops and I talk to actors about what it was like casting the show, that was one of the hardest parts to be able to find people that could play the humor without pushing it into the sitcom world. Right. And going over the top and making it silly and cartoony, and make, but, make, but making it real. So the whole situation feels real.
0: Well, cause it's also always yeah. usually revolving around finding a decomposed body
2: in like always. a
0: trash can or yeah. so it has to be sort of real so that you're not making fun
2: of what's happening, yeah,
0: but I mean, it also you have needs to be
2: really f- believe that you're seeing a right, exactly. real dead body in front of you right? without just screaming and right. running away like a little girl and being silly. Right. Um, so and- those
1: eight days, you yeah. have eight days, you've broken down the script. How do you, how do you go about finding all these parts?
2: Well, you've, uh, first of all, you put out a, what's called a breakdown, which goes out to all the agents, and then the agents submit to you their clients who they think could fill these roles, and then you sort through everything, and you pick out um, who you think should come in. Um, and aside from that, you're thinking of your own ideas as well, of people that you know of or people you think could play this. Um, so you kind of have stacks of... You have stacks of things going on all at once. You have stacks of people that you know you can bring into the producers. Then you have, well, you actually have lists of people that you would love to be able to bring into the producers. A lot of times you get, you know, those are the people that won't be interested Tom Cruise isn't going to play Yeah, Tom Cruise co-star. is not coming Michael in Grant, Terry. Well, yeah. Michael Grant- <laughs> Terry I think is outside the building waiting to come in <laughs> yeah
0: well Michael Grant Terry's ready he's knocking on the door <laughs> he's right in now the parking lot yeah as we speak. and yes. then
2: added to
1: the pressure is on a 12 on a show that goes 12 seasons you can't bring people back
2: right and that that is that was the biggest challenge of doing you know I've did I did several um Long-running series. You know, I did, obviously, X-Files and Sabrina. that went on seven years and this for 12 years. So it was kind of what I've always done. But yes, the longer a series goes on, the more difficult it gets. Because and, you have to find new people every week.
1: And we worked with um, Rick on The Finder and Backstrom as well. Right. And The Finder was different because it was somewhat of a spin-off. But Backstrom, it was like, oh, we can bring all these actors back that were in the first season of Bones. Right. All these people were newly refreshed for
2: you. Well it's yeah, that's great when you get a brand new show because then you can go back to all your people who treasures right. that you love and you know, people that you've used that are great actors, you can use them again. But when you're on a long running series, once you've used them you can't use them again. And it's a little frustrating. You know, in the old days, you know, the old dramas, they would reuse people over and over and over. But those days, I think, are gone. Well,
0: I think, and uh no, yeah. no I, I think, um, Law and Order reuses. I mean, I've done multiple NCISs, but um, playing different characters. Yeah, different characters, but they're different NCIS New Orleans. I, 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 maybe they aren't different worlds. But I've done NCIS regular as a marine who got killed, and then I did NCIS New Orleans as a
2: like, well, that makes sense. Easy guy. I mean, those are two you different know, shows,
0: but. I don't know that they cross over, but I know that some law and order, I know people who have done them within a 10-year span yeah. have redone it, but like by that point, you Well, you're and
2: the truth is, it's not like we never, ever reused people. We did reuse a couple people. Right. Um, just because it warranted <coughs> it. It just worked. Um, but anyway, back to the process. Yeah. yeah. So you put out that breakdown. So you put out the breakdown. You sort through people you know you can bring in, and then you're always looking for new faces. You know, you never know when you're gonna find somebody brand new um, who will come in and blow you away, and and then you, uh, occasionally you do find those people. And I always, you know, the reason that I that I say that I always wanted to read people is because, I remember when I was casting The Guardian, because I did that Simon Baker show for a season, and I remember pre-reading this kid for this part. It was a homeless guy. And this guy came in and never seen him before. He, I think he'd done one guest star on something. And he pre-read for me. He was really good. Took him to the producers. They fell in love with him. He got the part. And his name was Chris Pine. Yeah. And so it's like stories like that. Right. And I've had many of those. I mean, I could go on and on and on about those. But those things happen. And those are the par- those are the exciting parts of casting. When you find somebody that's brand new and then off they go and they become Chloe Moretz, you know, or or Shia LaBeouf.
0: And we've had a lot of them on bone. I mean, you had Aaron Paul and Scoot McNary and all these people who have Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan who have come through. Right. Taylor Kinney. Right. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, he did one. So a pre-read is when you read for you
2: first. before It's
0: reading for just a casting director before you are then possibly called back to see the producers.
2: Right. Yeah, the pre-reads is, is my time to read, go through as many people as I can and find people that I feel comfortable to show to the producers. Right. And what are they reading? Do you send out? They read si- They read sides, which are scenes from the actual script. And you pull the sides and you read... They actually, I actually read with them and you sit in the room with the producers and the director and you videotape it. Although I hear a lot of times now there's no people in the room. There anymore. aren't any
0: producers in the room. Very rarely are they. I mean, um, well, it's funny. I actually just went in for... NCIS LA actually two days ago which would be the trifecta for me of that show oh, wow. um, and the they do have the director in there now still they okay. they they have uh, either a director or a producer
2: that's in the room yeah. but it's really rare, everything's on tape now with, with casting. Because doing Bones we always did it in the room with them and I remember directors would come in and say oh we're doing this in person and I would say, why are you saying that? And he said, because all these other shows I do, it's just, I just look at tapes.
0: And I've talked to my my friend who's a producer actually does not like in person. He's yeah. too, too uncomfortable. Some he finds don't. it very uncomfortable and he'd much prefer to watch it on his computer yeah. and, and cast off of that. Yeah, because they can fast forward. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Next. <laughs> so
1: years ago on Bones, and Rick, you'll remember this, uh, people were, fans were, were, finding out clues about the upcoming episodes. Oh, yeah. And we no one knew how it was getting out. And I think the big thing was Booth's <laughs> girlfriend at the time, who ended up being Catherine Winnick. Mm-hmm. But w- there had been a breakdown put out, and fans had subscribed to the service, the breakdown service that actors subscribe to, and had looked on the Bones one and had downloaded the sides and read above and below the sides. Because usually it's highlighted what the actors need to prepare. And this was happening for a couple episodes, and we couldn't figure out, is someone leaking it from the show or from the scripts? And it turned out that that was on like a a public setting or something?
2: Well, there's a lot of bootleg. There's a lot of people that get the breakdowns that aren't supposed to get them. Um, I don't know how that happens, but they do. And... I think because of the- Well, as Pesh
0: said, you can sign up and become your own manager. Yeah. And then you can get the the breakdowns. Yeah.
2: But I think that those days, things have changed. I mean, I think people are very careful how they word the breakdowns now and what sides they put out. They're fake sides a lot too. And there's, yeah, there are a lot of people that don't want anything out. They will put fake sides out. And Um, I think
1: and Steven thought of that, but then it's when you're doing 22 episodes and- you you it's it has to go really quick you have to there write another no,
0: side you have to write fake sides you know there yeah
1: it wasn't time for fi- to create fake sides exactly. for a part that's in an upcoming episode
2: yeah so we would be very careful you know as the casting department we would be careful what got out as far as descriptions of the characters as far as what was in the sides sometimes we'd black out specific information. If it was like a cliffhanger or something that we didn't want known, and Christine was always very good at that. Christine's my wife who worked with you. Yes. Michael's wife. Who yeah. was My associate for many, many, many years, um, and she was always really good at keeping, you know, finding that stuff that shouldn't get out. And
0: right, the names of characters I think were a big deal as well, and
2: yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's important. I mean, you, you got to be careful with that because. There are crazy fans out there that love to leak, and look what I know.
0: I remember actually pre-reading for you, Rick, uh, the first time I ever did. And it's funny, because I told Christine the story, and she was like, Rick used to do that all the time. It was in the old bungalows of the Fox lot. Right. And I read for you for a guest star, not for Wendell, for something else. And I walked, I I was like, that went pretty well. Then I walked out, and then I hear, I'm like walking down the street, and I hear, Michael, Michael! And you had come out of the bungalow to follow me out. And you were like, "Uh, can you actually come back later today at 3 o'clock to meet the producers? And I was like, great. And Christine was like, Rick always used to run out after people and tell them to come back later that day.
2: Well, I think, and I did do that sometimes. I didn't do it all the time. No, I know. No, but there are those moments where you read somebody and it's so easy to dismiss people. Right. Because you're you you know you're on a roll and you're going and you've read a million people a million people and sometimes you just it, it gets by you. And there's something I don't know something will just make me stop and go wait a second. This could work. Yeah. You know, after the fact that you've already left, you just sit there for a minute and you think about it. And that happens, you know, when you're with producers too. Oh, I'm sure. You know, you're in a session with producers and the person leaves the room and this is why I always tell actors to leave slowly because you never know, you hmm. know, after someone leaves the room, everyone talks about it and they go, wait a second, maybe let's see him do it again. Oh, leave slowly,
0: meaning like once you leave the room, don't
2: yeah, book don't it out of there. run yeah. to the parking lot. Right, right, right. Because there's many times where I've had to run to the parking lot to right. get somebody. But it just happens. You know, people after the fact think about it and think, wait a second, he didn't do this, but maybe he could do that. Let's try it. Let's see if it works. And 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 when I'm pre-reading, I do the same thing. You know, things happen where you just sit there and you think about it for a second and go, you know, maybe this could work. So and let's I've try been
1: it. I've been sitting with you. We did that. We were doing that on Backstrom, and we were reading, looking for the role of Nadia,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Nadia was originally a Russian, um, super smart, like uses the computer, is at home base and we read i think you and i did pre-reads and we read at least 100 different girls yeah and we were at the point of just so so frustrated mm-hmm. and so like and uh Beatrice Rosen came in mm-hmm. and she she's french and she was doing a russian accent right and the russian accent was not was not very good and and we said well w- can you just read in your regular
2: accent? Yeah, why does it have to be Russian? accent?
1: It's like, she did it and was like, oh, that's...
2: That works. That
1: really works. And she left and I think you chased after her and we went and got heart mm-hmm. and said, can you wait like 45 minutes <laughs> for a heart then to be yeah. available? Come back. She read and ultimately mm-hmm. tested and, and got the and role got the and the entire role was changed from Russian... To French. And again,
0: the benefit of having producers in the room, actually, yes. because like, I think that, yes, it's nice to be doing things on tape and, and people can just digitally upload it to the producers. But it, you're right. If you see someone, you're like, well, they weren't quite right, but I wonder if they could do this. You don't have that opportunity if the producers aren't there. I mean, you have the casting that can do that, but um, which is Great, because I've had casting give me great adjustments, just so they can have four different options for the producers because right. they know
2: they might want to see different things. Well, you know, and the truth is you're looking for something specific, you know, and you're looking to find that perfect, perfect person that fits this part perfectly, and that doesn't always happen. You know, you never, like we went through 100 people for that part. Many, many times it just doesn't happen that you find the perfect person, so you're waiting for that person to come in and make something of this character that may not be exactly what's written, and that's when, when you have producers in the room and writers in the room that see some, somebody bring something different, they can go, oh, maybe we can tweak the character to be like this because this person brings this to it, and if we, match, if we put this together, now it works.
1: And, a and that pilot, happens all the time. And a pilot is very different than series. I mean, we had the luxury of, you know, being able to read a hundred people for that one part. But on a series, you have those eight days.
2: Yeah. And you don't you're, have time.
1: The, the eight parts you're trying to fill. How many pre-reads do you do? And then what is the next step to producer section? How many people do you bring into those?
2: In in doing a series?
1: In doing a series.
2: Yeah, because because you, you don't have a lot of time. So you you know, you have a couple days where you can do pre-reads and you can see 30, 40, 50 people in a day um, and then you just weed it down to 8 or 10 people. Um, when you're doing a pilot, obviously you have much more time. And you know, putting a pilot together, it's all about the chemistry of the show, of the series regulars. And nobody really knows what that is yet in a pilot. In a series, we know what the chemistry is because those people are established, and you can work around that. But doing a pilot, you're you're putting the chemistry together, and a lot of times that those ideas change as you see people reading and different people. Like the Beatrice situation, you know, she came in and completely changed it because of who she was. Um, that happens all the time, but you also have more. You have a little more luxury because you have a little more time, whereas in a series, you don't. You only have a couple of days to pre-read people, and you know you got to be pretty selective uh, as to who you're going to bring in, and hopefully one of those people will nail it. And usually they did, but there are those times where nobody's happy. Nothing works, and you have to keep going and going and going until you find it. And then there's always obstacles where people fall out, and people get other jobs, and people get hurt, or people die, or, you know. Yeah. Things happen. So, And some of that comes down
0: to the day before. I mean, for some of those shows. I know, like, ca- oh, yeah. casting, can you can
2: get a role the night before you're shooting. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> We've, we even had a couple times on Bones where we had one specific time where we hired somebody, and... They saw the first day of dailies, and they weren't happy with it, and we had to fire them and start over while the show was shooting. Which is common. Which happens, it, that happens more often in a new show, you know, in the beginning of a new series. Right. Because, you know, you have a lot of more micromanaging from the studio and the network in a brand new show versus a show that's been on for eight or ten years.
0: I just read about a guy who just got canned from a show after the table read. And he's a name. He oh, yeah. he was that happens, happens all, all the time. I that mean,
2: happens in a pilot a lot.
0: Yeah, because I think the studio he was he was offered the role and um they had and I think they closed the deal the night before the table read and he had the table read and that's the first time anybody had heard him read that role yeah. and it wasn't right and so then they ended up giving it to the one of the guys who tested for it
2: that's because they knew that he had done it you know and that's one of the you know that's one of the things you deal with when you just offer somebody a part right you think and everybody thinks that it's going to work. It's the same thing that happened with Boreanaz's new series, you know? Right, right, He right, wasn't right. the first choice for that part. They right. had somebody else. They, Jim Cavizial. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually filmed, I think, for three or four days yeah. before they decided it wasn't Jesus working. Was right. <laughs> Jesus was not right. Jesus was <laughs> not right.
1: Well, I was, I was an assistant to a producer on a pilot where the, ble- the head actress, who had gotten several offers that pilot season, was fired at the table read. Because no one had told her, you need to act like this is a performance for the ages at the table read. Because all the executives from the studio, everyone is getting their first look at you doing this role. Mm-hmm. No one had tapes or anything. It was offer only. And she... Um, that was a
2: little bit of pressure for her.
1: She read it like she was reading the newspaper. Yeah.
2: Which and- is how
0: most like known actors do it at table reads. <laughs> well, and I've
2: seen that. People come to yeah. a table read and just... Read. they don't get into it right they think oh it's just a table read i don't have to try and i've seen that backfire too i've seen people get fired from a table read because they just oh i don't have to i don't have to put anything into i this. like to
0: just say i'm working and i can't make the table read <laughs> but i've seen <laughs> table seen, reads are very they're stressful petrif- they are stressful for
2: everybody and we
0: never had them on bones which was actually i mean at least since was, when i was on it there was never one table read uh,
2: no i don't think so no. not since not now there when no, I was doing There's it. no time to do, I did have yeah. table reads. Well, but that's not, but I mean,
0: like, Criminal Minds did table reads, and I, that's a show that's been on we just did, as long.
2: When we were doing the X-Files here, before, after it came from Vancouver, I believe we did do table reads when we could. Like, when we could get David and Jillian to be there, we would do it. Um, and it's kind of nice to hear it once, right. but... I think it's a little unnecessary.
0: I think it's a little unnecessary too. I think it causes think a lot a pilot, of stress. For, sure, for you a pilot, want to hear yes,
2: it. yeah, I agree. Because all the st- you know the studio and sure. the presidents and everybody are there watching it, and that's why it gets so stressful. Because everybody's like looking at each other, going, "Is this working? Is this working?" Yeah. Am I going to get fired? You you want you want to want to hear, but you also fired.
1: want your director <clears throat> to tell every to tell the actors it needs to be somewhat of a performance. Don't just read. Yeah,
2: it. I remember w- the pilot of Shark when we did that um I cast it with Kim Coleman.
0: Oh you did? And
2: yeah, Kim Coleman and I did it together. Oh, I didn't know that. James Woods, the uh, James Woods. Very
0: sane James Woods. Yeah.
2: And Spike <laughs> Lee directed it. What? Yeah.
0: I remember. And I remember yeah.
2: at the table read, and I won't say names, but I remember at the table read there was one actress that when she started to read Spike Lee cuz Spike Lee was very close with Kim Coleman, mm-hmm. so they knew each other really well. And Kim and I were sitting at the head of the table. And this one actress was reading her part, and Spike shoots this look over at Kim. And Kim, under her breath, is going, He hates her. He hates her. Oh. And I'm just going, Uh oh, here we go. Well,
0: it's stressful for you guys as oh, well. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, as soon as the table was over, you know, we get this phone call. Ugh. We have to replace this, this woman. And Spike's coming to your office in 10 minutes, and he wants to see the other choices. Oh, my God. And of course, I was like, Holy crap. And we, you know, we had to throw together. I had to get all these tapes together and put everything together in like ten minutes. And here he comes. By comes to my office and sits on the couch and goes, "Okay, let's see what else." And, and it was like, and oh. you have to throw
0: together your second, your other choices that you guys yeah. liked,
2: right? Yeah, because there was no time to see other people, right? So fortunately, there was somebody in there. Or no, you know what they did? They, I think they ended up <clears> writing <throat> the part out. Actually, I oh. think that's what happened. But anyways those things happen and it's you know especially when it's someone like Spike Lee right shooting doing this, a pilot these, these blades from his eyes across right. the road. It's <laughs> like oh god
0: So what do you like what are some things that you look for in auditions I mean like like what are some things that are like that will turn you off immediately and what are some things that, that really draw you in and I know that's a generic question yeah.
2: but talk to me a little What's bit a about
0: boring? about some of your some of the process of auditioning
2: Well, I think the biggest thing, you know, and I know this people hear this all the time, but it may sound cliche, but it's true, is being prepared. Yeah. You know, I think that's such a, it's such an important thing that I think a lot of a lot of actors take for granted, because I think there's a lot of people that come in and think, I can just wing this, you know, it's a couple pages, I'll just do it and move on. Um, And people, people look at me perplexed when I say that, but I'm saying that because I see it all the time. Yeah, that's actually baffling to me. Yeah, I know that there are a lot of actors like yourself that are always prepared, that are baffled to hear that that happens. But I think it's why all of us casting directors say that all the time, be prepared, because you see it all the time. That people come in and you can tell they just picked it up five minutes ago. Ugh. and They haven't spent time with it. And, you know, everyone's got reasons and maybe
0: There's no knows, good reason, really. I mean, I,
2: I don't know. Who knows what somebody's yeah. day or what they're going through or their life or whatever. But regardless, you're there to get a job. If you're not prepared to get the job, why are you even there? Right. You know, don't even come. Um, don't waste your time. Don't waste my time. But um, I think that's that's the, the biggest thing is just the professionalism to be prepared and come in and do the best job you can do, you know. And as, as an actor, that's all you can do, you know, because you have no control once you leave the room, you're done. And either you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. So um, I think you just it's up to you to do your best job and you know know the part as best you can. You know, everybody says, should I memorize the lines? Should I not? You know, and my feeling is, if I were you, I would memorize it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how you can not? make a. I don't know how you can make a choice about a role if you're on page the entire time. But I mean, actors ask me that all the time. <clears throat> is, do I have to memorize this? You don't have to do anything. You know what that like, is? That's laziness. That's yeah. that's that's looking for an excuse to do less work. Yeah, honestly, and I my feeling is if why not know the part inside and out. So number one, your nerves don't get in the way. Right. You don't have to think about the words. Yes, you can hold the sides in your hand. Yeah. You know, you don't have to not you don't have to put them away. You can have them in case you something happens and you have to look down at it. But if I were you, I would know this thing like the alphabet. So you don't have to think about it. Because you're gonna be nervous anyway and you're gonna be distracted by people in the room. And just why not have it down cold.
0: I hate it when I get auditions the night before. I mean, I, obviously it happens all the time, but it's like I would much prefer to have m- multiple days to work on something so that I can formulate that character and so that the last thing that I'm thinking about is what's my next line. Yes, you know.
2: Um, the worst part is the is the the co star day players that have two, two lines, one line or two lines. I actually think those are the hardest auditions.
0: Of actually. course they are.
2: Yeah, but I can't tell you how many times people come in and start. To say their first line. Oh no! And they forget the line.
0: Oh no! And it's that's nerves.
2: You've been sitting out there for twenty minutes and you can't remember one line. That's a little scary for me.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, it's also even if you you are not getting the part, creating a good impression with you is is almost more beneficial than creating a good impression with the producers. Because I will bring you back for something else later. And and what, you know, actors have to remember is that on episodic TV, a lot of the time it's a completely different group of producers, writer, director who are in the room the next time. But, you know, the casting director, Rick, will always be there. And he's, you know, so many times been like, we saw this person, uh, you know, in season six, and now bring him back in like season eight because I thought he would be right
2: for the part. Right. And, and the- so many of those actors, too, will say, oh, I've been in there enough. They've seen me enough. I don't need to come back. Yeah, right. But they don't understand that every time we're in the room, there's a whole new group of people in that room.
1: Well, for you, it's it's hard to get someone apart who won't
0: come back. Exactly. Well, and actually, going back to like, I think the thing that I auditioned for you actually was Shark, that you came out. And I didn't get that part. And then I think I did an uh, audition for another guest star on Bones and thank God I didn't get that one because then you would the third time Wendell. I would have never gotten, I would have done one episode of Bones as uh yeah. someone who found a body or like the killer of the week or something like You're that. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. And then, <laughs> seriously. No, I mean it's, <laughs> yeah, and it is, I and I like to think that it's because, you know, you make a fan in an office and they remember yeah. you whether or not you specifically remembered me or not, but I, I believe well, I just sure went that's what straight to the producers for the, for the Wendell role. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you you make fans with casting directors, yeah. and I think we that's really remember. important. Yeah, I and
2: mean, when somebody's good, and you f- you feel that they can bring something to a role, you might not be a hundred percent right to a producer that you bring them in for, but you don't forget them because they could play any other right. specific role. And you know, there's lists of people that. You could talk to actors that said, that can tell you that they came in on Bones 10, 12 times before they got a role. Yeah. You know, and it it gets a little silly sometimes when you're going, oh, you're back again. But, you know, as I would say to them, it's because I love you and I think you can do this. And eventually people would get the roles. And there's so many factors out of their
0: control for that. You know, there's so many reasons why they're coming back 10 times, and a minute detail of why they didn't get it the first time or the second time. Of course, as
2: an actor, you're going to beat yourself up. Of course. Oh my God, I can't do this. What am I doing? But it is. You never know that maybe you look like somebody else already cast, or you're not diverse enough, or you're not tall enough. I mean, there's a, it can be anything. And you have no control over that. That's why, you know, I always tell actors after an audition, just forget about it. I throw my sides away. Yeah, in the waiting room, I walk out yeah. and I throw them away and I leave slowly, but just in case also, they come back out to get me. Yeah. <laughs> but you can also learn from every audition. You know, I think you also have to pay attention to what you do and how the room absorbs you and the vibe you get from a room. I think you can learn from all those. You know, each situation and each meeting. But as far as beating yourself up over it, you know, you can't. Because I started as an actor, you know, so I, and I remember going to those auditions because I lived in Newport Beach and I would always drive up an hour to audition for two minutes and then I'd drive home. And I would drive home for an hour. Thinking about it. I remember I would do the scenes again, you know, 25 more times all the way home, making myself crazy, going, why didn't I do it like this? Why didn't I do like that? But what's the point? It's over, you know. And did that help
0: you, do you think, uh, having been an actor and then becoming a casting director?
2: Well, I think it helps in just that I have compassion yeah. for what you guys go through. Um, I get it. I know how scary it is. I know how difficult it is. Um, I know what you need to do. So, I think it. Th- I think it helps as a casting director. And I know a lot of us have been actors, and I know there are a lot that haven't. My um, wife Christine's not an actor yeah, at all. You know, yeah. so which I kind of find interesting because if you've never really acted and you're working with actors all day, it's, I feel like you're kind of missing something that they're feeling. That's just my perception. Yeah. Um, That's why she's but married because to I, me. Yeah, <laughs> you, you <fell laughs> I her give in. her, I fill her in <laughs> on, on how, what it feels like to be an actor. <laughs> but no, I remember, I still remember how I used to feel. And I used to feel that, you know, people would always say to me when I was acting, you got to have a backup, you got to have a backup. And I'd always say, "No, I don't." Because if I have a backup, then that's what I'll do. Right. And I would say that all the time. I'm never going to have a backup. And fortunately, you know, I kicked myself in the head one day and said, "This is not working. It's time to move on." And, and
0: so, I how did, did that? What, so, where was your first? Like, what was your first move on from from acting? How did you get into the uh, casting?
2: Well, from acting, I actually went into. I was also a dancer, so I. Toured.
0: Oh, we might have to take some pictures and do some video for, wow. the, for the website.
2: <laughs> I used to dance with Mitzi Gaynor with oh, her wow. troupe for a while. So I did that for a while, and I toured the country, and I did all that you know show stuff all over the world. And then uh, I stopped. And when that ended, I kind of got to a point where I was getting tired of auditioning and, and being rejected. And I wanted to try something else, and I actually became a receptionist at a real estate office just to get a job. Well, that turned into three years, and I got my license, and I... You know, I was an assistant to two top Beverly Hills real estate agents. And I had a good job. I mean, it was a good job, and I was learning a lot, but I was never happy. You know, it was one of those things I was doing every day, and I'd wake up going, What am I doing? Right. Why am I doing this? So I literally had to go in and just quit cold turkey one day. I said, I got to stop. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep doing this and be miserable the rest of my life. So I just called around to people that were in show business. And thought, maybe I'll just get into production. And I called, it was an art director friend of mine who got me a my first PA job on the Soul Train Music Awards. Oh, my gosh. And I was the only white person backstage.
1: Incredible. <laughs> Don Cornelius. And I
2: remember, yeah, I remember walking. My first day, I walked into the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. I came from the back of the house to walk up to meet whoever I was supposed to meet. And I remember there was this woman... Because the show, I think, was that night or the next day, and there was this woman who looked like a housekeeper was up on the stage singing with these big glasses and this hat, this hair thing on. I'm like, who is that? And I get closer and closer to the stage, and it turns out it's Dionne Warwick. (laughs) And she has not a stitch of makeup on. She's got these big glasses. And I remember the night of the show when she came out, and she was all made up and done. I was like, whoa. Wow. You know I was backstage with Grace Kelly and Whitney whoa. Houston, and it was it was amazing. That was my first like, whoa, this is cool. So that just turned into one PA job after the next, right. You know, and the PA job is you know the gopher job. And then uh, I was doing a pilot um, I was doing a game show where I was typing questions into a computer, and they were casting a pilot. Peter Golden was casting a pilot near us, and he was the head of NBC casting at the time. Um, who's now head of casting at CBS. But he was casting, um, it was a pilot called Good Morning Miss Bliss that turned into Saved by the Bell.
0: Uh, Um, And he
2: was casting (laughs) that, and we became friendly, and I met with him, and he said, you know, I could probably send your resume out and help you possibly find a job. So he did, and I got a call one day from this casting director that was looking for a new assistant, and I said, great. What are you casting? And he said, Oh, I worked I do the show Dynasty. <laughs> and that was my first casting assistant job.
0: And the old th- dynasty. Being thrown, yeah, not the remake. The, <laughs> not the new, one. Not the new Is one. that's still
2: on, actually. It's still yeah, oh, It just wow. got picked up. Okay. Um, and that's where it started. And then from there I went to MGM television, worked on staff with Mary Jo Slater. Christian Slater's I, mom. Christian Slater's mom. Yeah and then i went to columbia television and worked with rick jacobs and nancy perkins but you you then. moved into like you moved into um,
0: network casting right yeah i was at, well, i was at the studio studio casting sorry but you yeah. were not but so was that day to day the same casting that you were doing on bones or were you more like overseeing?
2: overseeing yeah okay yeah when you work at the studio or the network in the casting departments you're overseeing the productions that are being done now when i was at mgm and i was an assistant um, with Mary Jo, we actually, we had, to, they were doing the pilot of In the Heat of the Night with mm-hmm. Carol O'Connor. Yeah. And another casting director did the pilot. But then when the series got picked up, they had Mary Jo cast it because they were shooting in in Georgia. So Mary Jo and I were casting the episodes and she eventually just let me do it because she was so busy doing everything right. else. So that's really where I got my feet wet. Um, in the independent casting world, because I was actually helping her cast those episodes, and then when I went to Columbia um, again, I was overseeing. And then they actually gave me a pilot to cast in-house, which was Route 66. What mm-hmm. do you make of that? And then they condensed the departments, and I got laid off. But the sh- but the pilot got picked up, so they gave me the pilot to go out on my own, and that was my first series on my own.
0: That what you were casting I, from the ground casting, up, yeah.
2: yeah. And then that only lasted six episodes. And then I was, you know, now what am I going to do? So mm-hmm. at that time, I knew Randy Stone, who was the head of casting at Fox, at mm-hmm. the time, 20th Century Fox. And because we had developed a relationship, he was doing a, a movie of the week that I oversaw at Columbia. And he, I called him one day and said, you know, I'm, I'm on my own now, I'm going to need a job. And he said, well, it's funny you called because we just finished doing this pilot in-house it's called The X-Files <laughs> that I think is going to get a pickup. I think.
0: Hmm. It, might, it might go yeah. somewhere.
2: <laughs> and he said, if it gets picked up, I'll have you come in and meet Chris Carter. And I said, OK, sure. And I remember he called me and he said, it got picked up. I want you to go in and meet. And I'll never forget that day because it was, and this is unusual, I walked in and there were six other casting directors in the waiting room. Because usually when you meet on something, you you're it's by private, yourself. right? Yeah, like and you don't see you don't see in, your competition. No. Yeah, and we were all in there, and I was the new guy, right? And there was people in there that I knew that had been around, and I thought I'm never going to get this, right? And for some reason, you know, he hired me, and that was that's when it really well it's started.
0: new blood. I would imagine it's like they want
2: to see a fresh take on I think so on casting. And I do remember Chris was. I remember when the meeting with Chris when we were talking about Carol O'Connor that I had worked with him on in the heat of the night, mm-hmm. he seemed really impressed with that. Right. I don't know if that's why he hired me, but I just remember him, you know, perking up. Right. We talked about him. Um, and that's kind of where it started. And then from there it's, you know, and
1: did you do the entire first run of X files?
2: Yeah, I did every episode. I didn't do the pilot cause they did it in house cause they really only had to cast David and Jillian. And then the rest was cast in Vancouver. And the show shot in Vancouver for the first five seasons. So I was doing the major guest stars from L.A. and sending it up to Vancouver. And then in the sixth season, the show moved to L.A. And then I was doing the whole thing. To
0: so the same stage as Bones, right? Yeah. Yeah, the exact yeah, same the stage same as Bones. Same stage as Bones. Yeah.
2: Five so when,
1: when uh, Duchovny directed an episode of Bones, did, you, did he come and cast with you?
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. I was part of that whole Dukovny... I think I was part of that whole thing because I remember his manager at the time, Melanie Green, we were talking about directing, him directing, and you know, I said, well, let me mention... Because she said that David wanted to direct, and I think I mentioned something to Hart about it, and he said, oh, my God, we'd love to have David direct. And then I told Melanie, and Melanie hooked that up, and then David came, and, yeah, it was fun to have David come direct because I hadn't seen him in a while. So he came and sat in casting, and we did the whole thing. Do you do you like having directors in sitting on casting? I know this is a side
0: question. Do I like what having directors be there for casting, or do you sometimes not thinking of David
2: specifically, but like do you find it good to have them in there? Uh, completely, yeah, yeah, I do because you know the director is the ultimate one is the one that's going to be working with everybody, right? Um, they don't always have the final say. Well, they don't have the final say. They don't, say right. Because you have your executive producers in the studio and the network. Right. And sometimes the star of your show. Yeah. Um, involved. But um they are the ones that are going to ultimately work with the actor. And they're the ones that have the ideas and will give notes and changes. And um, yeah, I do like working with them. I, I feel bad for them when they have their first choice that they want to hire and right. they don't get their first choice they get choice vetoed yeah because they get vetoed by for whatever reason and that happens quite a bit um and it's a little frustrating i see for them but you know it's the process you know when you have all these people involved you you don't always get exactly what you want a question <laughs> i wanted to ask you going
0: back just a little bit to to uh your suggestions for actors or or your um tips for them how much do you think things weigh on the personality of someone coming in a room like how often does that play a role in in casting i mean because i would imagine it if they're a great actor but a
2: fucking asshole then that's gonna play some role yeah well of course i mean look your personality is the first impression right the second somebody walks in a room, you as a casting person or anybody, a director, makeup person, whatever, everybody makes a first impression by somebody's personality. And when you're looking for a specific role and somebody walks in a room, I know for myself, I have an immediate feeling right. if I think this is going to go well or not. And sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I get surprised. But I think a person's personality, yes, is your... It's your calling card. It's your. It's the first thing people see. Well, and people talk a lot
1: in this business. And f- your friends will tell you, oh, he was on my show for two years. He's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And, you know, you'll you'll talk to the people on your show about that. And like, she didn't show up for work or, and, and people will come in. I've seen people come in and apologize about their past behavior on someone show. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes they'll give an amazing performance and you'll see actors who, you know, we won't <clears throat> mention any names, but you're like, life is too short. I would never cast that person. But then you see the performance they did and, and go, Oh, that's worth it.
2: Yeah. Well, and you you see you know people come into audition as actors, and some people have had a really shitty day, right? And their shitty day comes right in the room with them, yeah. And you see it, and you feel it, and you see the attitude, and it puts you off. And you think, do I want to show this person to my director and producer and take the chance that they're going to have a shitty day on the set and not perform, right? Maybe I don't want to do that.
0: Is this one day or is this an overall negativity that they everything. have towards their yeah. profession? Because I know that being an actor is hard. And yeah. like I think a lot of the balance that I have and that many of my friends who are actors have is trying to be positive. Because I agree, you walk in that room and if you have any inkling of negativity or like this business sucks on your shoulders, it's going to read no matter yeah. what. Because
2: people don't care.
0: No, they don't you care. Know?
2: And at my office at Fox there was this long walk you had to make to get to my office. Mile. They don't I miss you, that. Yeah, they yeah. don't let you park on the lot. Right. And there was... I, I had times where very established actors' actors, actresses would come into my office for pilots. I remember one specific instance, not naming any names, yeah. but she was an actress who was not happy she had to walk.
1: Oh, I think I remember. And I think I was in the room for this audition. was
2: not pretty. And what happened? And this is a really good actress and she just did not she she had a chip in her shoulder she had an attitude yeah and it came across in the reading and when you looked at the tape you could see it and it didn't happen well, and it was a shame you know and those are the kind of things i guess as an actor you just have to let it go yeah and i think for any of us you know any of us going for a job interview you know if you're having a shitty day leave it outside you have to
0: well, part of this podcast as well is uh, delicious conversations about food. And I know that you have some favorite restaurants <laughs> oh, that you like, uh, which one I've been to with you, uh, El Coyote. Oh, God, I've been to El Coyote That's the watering too. hole. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I know that you're a big fan of martinis like I am. Oh, yes. It's one of my favorite things oh, in the yes. world.
1: Wait, can I ask you to tell your El Coyote
2: story? Which one? Oh, yes. El- this El- is a good one, the, the Aaron Paul El Coyote story. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you want me to tell that? Yeah, tell it. It's a good story my it was my nephew's 21st birthday i think it was his 21st and my sister and my nephew kept telling me about breaking bad that what a great show it was because i remember watching the pilot and it didn't suck me in and i didn't watch i was just like nah, i don't think so so i didn't get into breaking bad but it was I think it was a year later or something. They started saying, you got to watch this show. It's so good. It's so good. Both of them. So I started watching Breaking Bad, and I did completely get sucked into it. I thought, it, you know, it was, it's still one of my favorite shows. Of course. And so my nephew was coming down. He was living in Oakland at the time. He was coming down for his 21st birthday. And the whole family was going to go to El Coyote for dinner that night. And that day, I was at the car wash, getting my car washed. And sitting waiting for his car was Aaron Paul, and I was I was like, oh my god, Aaron! It's, I hadn't seen him in a while because <laughs> you had cast him on. Because I cast him on. He did an X file and. Okay, that's bugs. right. So that's I, right. I knew Aaron pretty well, and I said, oh my god, Aaron! It's so great to see you. It's this is so funny that I'm seeing you right now, because tonight my nephew's birthday is happening, and we're going to El Coyote, and it's him and my sister the ones that got me into Breaking Bad that I'm actually watching right now. Right. And it's like my favorite show ever. And um, so he, he started saying, well, where, you guys, where are you going for the birthday? I said, El Coyote. And he said, what time are you going to be there? And I'm thinking, why are you asking me this? <laughs> and he said, well, maybe I'll stop by. I said, no, you won't. Come on. I said, that'd be really nice. But no, you won't. Right. I said, let me just take a picture with you anyway so I can show the guys at home right. that I that saw you today. happened, yeah. So yeah, we took a picture. And he said, "Ah, maybe I'll stop by. And I'm thinking, that's never going to happen. So we took the picture. I went home. I didn't show anybody the picture because I thought,
0: maybe there's a chance that maybe
2: he will come. So we all go. We sit at this table. We're in this back area of El Coyote. And we got there at 630. And I told him we were going to be there at 630. And where I was sitting, I was kind of facing the door so I could see if he was really going to (laughs) come. And the night's going by, it's seven thirty. It's eight o'clock. He's not coming, and I'm thinking this is I knew he wasn't coming. <laughs> so it's about eight o'clock, and I'm literally about just to tell everybody the whole story. And as I'm about to tell the story, I look up and I see him coming in the door with this other friend of his. He comes running over to the table <laughs> and he comes right up to my nephew. his My nephew's back was to him. Comes up to my nephew, taps him on the shoulder, and he goes, Happy birthday, Dylan, and takes these baggies of blue rock candy out of his pockets and throws it on the table, <laughs> which is you know the stuff they use right. to make the blue math right. on the show. Throws it on the table. My nephew and my sister and everyone at the table was in such shock. And I'm sitting there like crying. I'm like bawling my eyes out because it was so cool. It's amazing. Because the look on their faces was like, "What yeah. the fuck?" And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. And you are the, the star family member. Yeah. you know. Because then my niece, my other niece, was she was a big fan of one of, of One Direction at the time, and she's like, she's "Can like, you get? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly." Yeah. What his name is? Yeah. <laughs> um, and what what did they think of the food at Al Coyote? The food? The f- it's not about the food. It's about the margaritas. It's about the margaritas and the atmosphere there. Yeah. Well, and the chips. Well, you have to know how to order at El Coyote. It's, I mean. You have to know how to order. Well, how, to, how do you order? Well, you have to be specific in what you order. And you have
0: to be fast, right? Yeah. Like they, Like they come and like, it's no bullshit there.
2: Well, what do you mean? You can hang out. And no, but
0: I mean, like, I feel like it's it's pretty busy there. Like, it's not like it's busy.
2: Yeah, you, But it's it's such a family place. Like, right. you know, All the locals go. Right. And, you know, some people hate it. Some people. I have friends that will not step foot in that place. <laughs> some people think it's disgusting. Oh, I love how dark it is in there. It's so nice. And chips. It's, it's yeah. Margaritas, easy. Chips and salsa. It's yeah. It's like great. It's w- easy. What else do you like in L.A.? What's some of your other favorite places? Um. God, what else do I really like? Um, I love going to Tower mm-hmm. Tower Bar. Up on sunset is fantastic. At the Sunset
0: Tower. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's a really great place. It's good. I love the room in there. The food's fun. Yep. Last night I went out with a friend of mine. We went to Wally's bar in Beverly Hills. The what's the, the liquor store? The liquor store. But you know, in I, Beverly there's Hills they have a bar the rest now, room. yeah. I haven't been there yet. The bar is yeah. a fantastic bar. We sat at the bar, the menu's really fun. They have some really good food. It was a little crowded and a little noisy, but that um, was really fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, you have a chef in your house too, though. So you, 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 you have... I am the chef in my house. Oh, you at the are moment. the chef. Oh, I've that's... been cooking a lot. Yeah, you have. Yeah, like just what? Because I have time. Uh, well, I'm like I get into getting the, um, you know, those food and wine magazines. and yeah. Bon Appetit, and I'll go through and I'll find recipes that look good, and I'll just make it. Great. Right. I'll go to the store and yeah. and it's really I'm so into. It's soothing, isn't it? Oh my god, it's it's like meditative. Because I have the time right now, right. just Because I'm not working at the moment. I, you know, I've got this. Fennel sausage pasta thing. Mm. This Greek chicken recipe I found. Yeah. Um, this burger with this provincial French sauce, something or other. Oh on yeah, it. it's incredible. Yeah, I mean it's just fun to find these pictures of stuff that look amazing, and if you follow the recipe, you can actually make it. Have you read That's... Cooks Illustrated ever? No. It's it's a. Uh, I'll I'll get you, get you a couple of them. There, oh, it's okay. a it's a
0: magazine. But it's very, like, they're very technical and they've, they have a, it's called the uh, Cook's Illustrated Kitchen and they test things to make, to figure out exactly the perfect way to cook something or the yeah. perfect way to make a carbonara, or perfect yeah. way to make a Bechamel sauce. And each magazine, it's like quarterly, I think, um, gives you a ton of recipes for that season.
2: And they're, it's really cool. It's, a, it's, well, a and you know, it's fascinating too when you make these recipes, like how, like, Ina Garten's recipes, I think, are amazing. Like, yeah. The stuff she can, come up with, but how does she know that it's a teaspoon and not a quarter teaspoon of this it's or testing a, half a cup in the, it's I, that to me is fascinating. Yeah.
0: And I, I f- me as a chef, I don't really follow specific like teaspoon things unless yeah. you're doing baking. Yeah. But I think that it's her, I kind of doubt she does too. Cause I've seen her cooking a, and it's and she just a, a dollop it of in. stuff. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's like a test on what's the best that's going to, cause people need that. They need that measurement when they're cooking. Um, some people need that to know yeah. exactly how much, what does a handful of this mean?
2: Yeah. Does that mean a half And a the more you or? do it too, you kind of, because I like to really follow the exact recipe. Right. Just to make it perfect. But the more you do it, and I, now that I've been doing it, I'm starting to now just go, okay, it says a tablespoon. I know it can just like, Yeah, you can do a spoonful. And, yeah. yeah.
1: And do you make any of the desserts?
2: No, that's Jim. I have made desserts in my life. But Jim, my husband, is he's the baker, the dessert king. He oh, is the, the, dessert. the most amazing! I don't compete with that. No,
1: I think I went once, and Rick and Jim have a party during it's like Christmas time, right? Well, it's some, we've
2: done it in the summer. We don't do it every year because it's huge and it's a lot of work.
1: And he, when he's saying it's huge, it is. Rick opens up his home, and Jim cooks for how long?
2: About a month and a half.
0: I yes. mean, how many different pieces of. Well, bake he makes goods probably are like there?
2: Fifty, sixty desserts. Right, exactly. It's I mean, everything insane. from and not truffles like, to right. cheesecakes to pies to right you know little wafers to I mean he makes everything, and it's it's honestly to sit back and watch him. Oh yeah, crazy because he starts like a month and a half out, and he'll make first he'll start by making pie crusts and, and freezing them. them. Yeah, all the stuff he can freeze, he makes up front. But then when you get down to that last three days before the party, I can't even talk to him. I can't right. even go in the kitchen because it's so intense. Well,
1: and when I got, when you told me about it, I was like, oh, that'll be nice. It'll be like a, you know, a table full of desserts. No. Tables. <laughs> yeah. They're like our rented freezers and refrigerators <laughs> yeah. that are brought in. And,
0: and, a, and a beautiful bar. And every the, yeah.
1: single table and side piece has desserts on them. Yeah. And really complicated desserts that look like they've been made by professionals that you went out to different stores in like the best cheesecake place in Los Angeles and got a cheesecake the best like three layered cake place and got that and all so well done yeah Jip is not a normal person and at the he end is... of the night at the end of the night, Rick gives everyone um, like the styrofoam to go containers with not just
2: pieces of cake whole cakes. Yeah. Please whole take pies, this. Please take this. Would you please take so this? There's so much left over. I mean for days. I go to, around my neighborhood and I'm giving cheesecakes and, you know, it's crazy. How did Jim where did he learn that? He just taught himself. Yeah. He he did this before. We've been together for 22 years. It'll be this year. Um and he was doing this before we met. Wow. Um he just started doing like small dessert parties. He just knows how to make something taste good. And if it doesn't taste good, he won't serve it. And he's very, you know, he's very meticulous. And baking is very meticulous. Meticulous yeah. and very chemistry and very, you got to do it exact. And he's really good at that.
0: You know, it made my year when we had you guys over for dinner and I made a galette and Jim was like, <laughs> this crust is fantastic. <laughs> and he ate like half of it and I was like, what? yes! <laughs> I was like, if Jim likes this dessert, then that's good. So does he go looking? for great
1: desserts like places that have
2: he does that or he reads a lot of mag- you know he'll look at magazines just to get ideas he has his favorites you know he's got his staple things that he likes to make but he does like to mix it up so he'll get ideas from books and magazines and you know whatnot. but it is you know it's not something we do every year because it's no that it is it is the day he says we're going to do it my stomach oh like yeah goes into a knot yeah Because I know how just putting the house together, getting the house ready and getting things put together to make it. Because, you know, he's only in the kitchen. So that means I have to deal with a house. Right. And we have kind of a big house. So it's a lot to put it all together. And if I'm working, it's even more chaotic. But um, it is always an amazing night. And when it's over, you just like pass out and you're done.
0: Well, I can't wait until you have another one. I know, and, and soaking a lot of people. Yeah, I know. And thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. I slipped uh, four headshots in your bag, so don't forget about. Oh, me. you did,
2: <laughs> just in case I forgot. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh. Thank you so much, Ray. Thanks, it's been guys, awesome to talk to you. Yeah, very fun. Thank you.